Good morning, everyone. We're going to uh, take communion in a little while after the sermon, uh, which is communion with Christ. It's also communion with one another. So why don't you just turn to someone before we get started here and just say, I'm pleased you're here. Okay, why don't you just say hi to one another. Uh, we're going to start. Uh, how many of us have seen the, t- the film or show Les Miserables? Okay, a good number of us. Uh, good. This illustration may land then. That's helpful. Um, so uh, we are here at the ABC Cafe. The revolutionaries, I think it's 1848, are plotting uh, revolution. Uh, but meanwhile, Marius has met this girl. Okay? And uh, this is, as they're just planning things and putting things in perspective, this is the song that happens at that point. Time is near, so near, it's stirring the blood in their veins, and yet beware, don't let the wine go to your brains. We need a sign to rally the people, to call them to arms, and to bring them in line. Marius, wake up. What's wrong today? You look as if you've seen a ghost. Some wine and say, what's going on? A ghost, you say? A ghost, maybe. She was just like a ghost to me. One minute there, then she was gone. I am a cock. I am a ghost. <laughs> Is Marius in love at last? <laughs> I've never heard him ooh and ah. <laughs> you talk of battles to be won. Here he comes, like Don Juan. <laughs> it is better than an opera. <laughs> it is time for us all to decide who we are. Do we fight for the right to unite the opera now? Have you asked of yourself what's the price you might pay? Is this simply a game for a rich young boy to play? The colours of the world are changing day by day. Red, the blood of angry men. Black, the dark of ages past. Red, a world about to dawn. Black, the night that ends at last. Had you seen her today, you might know how it feels To be struck to the bone in a moment of breathless delight Had you been there today, you might also have known How your world may be changed in just one burst of light And what was right seems wrong And what was wrong seems right I feel my soul on fire Black, my world, if she's not there Red is the colour of desire Black is the colour of despair Marius, you're no longer a child I do not doubt you mean it well But now there is a higher call Who cares about your lonely soul? We strive towards a larger goal 
Our little lives don't count at all. Red, the blood of angry men, like the dark of ages past. Red, a world about to dawn, like the night that ends at last. Hey, what about that? That actually, the whole show, I just think there's so many analogies in that show, that book, um, you know, that story of redemption. But that particular scene um, is very powerful, I think. And uh, just this sense of kind of impending destiny and huge purpose. But asking the question, you know, where do I fit in this? I don't know whether we can get the PowerPoint up there, Colin, that'd be great. So this, uh, just this sense of revolution and purpose and we're going to change the world. That's the calling. That's what matters at this moment in time. And yet this question then, do our little lives matter? So Maris is here. He's met this girl. He's in love. Yeah, but the leader says our lives don't count at all. Well, is that right? I wonder if we can feel like that. We, we kind of have this sense that, hang on a minute, Christ died for the world and, it's, and Christianity is a big cause. And yet, when we live it day by day, it can feel like it's kind of a bit inconsequential. How, how do I fit in this whole big purpose? What, what is going on here? Well, I want to say there is a big picture. There is a big purpose. But our little lives do count. They count for all sorts of reasons, but I'm particularly going to pick up on something this morning. We're looking at this fit for purpose, the book of Ephesians. And if you're following, we're in Ephesians 4 and 5 this morning. But I want to give context. And firstly, then, we're going to look at a big purpose. Uh, does anyone know who that guy is? Just by any stretch, I'll be impressed if you do. Anyone know who that is? That's a guy called, uh, I have quoted him before, uh, a guy called Abraham Kuyper. Okay, who was a Dutch, he was actually a Dutch um, uh, pastor. He founded uh, a Christian newspaper, he founded a Christian university, and then he became Dutch Prime Minister. That's not a bad CV, is it, really? There was a reason he sewed into all that. And uh, this is probably the quote, if there was one quote outside of Scripture that I would say has impacted me, it's probably this. Kuiper said this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Now, my guess is all of us would think that's true. But just think through the consequences of that. What are the consequences of that? There's not an area of human existence over which Jesus does not claim lordship. He may not be lord, but he claims lordship. What are the consequences of that? We're going to think about that this morning and in our life groups. You see, God has a big purpose for creation, human existence. This is Genesis 1. It says, God bless them human beings, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and sub subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
And so humanity has been given stewardship over creation. And there's a role here for humanity to bring all of creation to fruition, to unlock all that God has put in creation. Now, by creation, I don't just mean there the physical world. Okay, although we do mean that. I don't just mean the physical world. What I mean is all of the resources in the physical world and then the human culture we're going to create on the back of this. You see, there's an important concept. That word fill there, it's the word male. It means to complete or bring to fruition. So humanity is charged, bring creation to fruition. Complete it. It's not going to be complete without humanity. We are to bring all of creation and all its resources, all of human culture to fruition, to fullness. And fullness is a concept throughout scripture. And so the purpose humanity has is it has a cultural mandate to create a culture, human culture, that brings all of creation to fruition. If we can get a hold of this this morning... I think this is a wonderfully liberating, empowering teaching of Scripture. Okay, we don't often come across it in local churches, but I want to—I want you to hang with me. Okay, you may say, "Well, hang on a minute—that's a bit highfalutin and you know, a bit big picture for me." I'm going to plug us into it later, but it's important we get this because it's imp- incredibly empowering. It gives us dignity as human beings. So what we are to do is to develop human culture according to kingdom rule. If you like, we are to create kingdom culture. The culture that we bring to the world is to be kingdom culture. You'll know that the word uh, kingdom in scripture, it doesn't just mean a physical kingdom. It kind of means rule, the rule of God, the reign of God. We're to bring the reign of God to all of creation, to all of human culture. We're to transform uh, culture by uh, the reign of the kingdom. And that is for every sphere of, of humanity, of human culture, for every sphere to the glory of God. Kuiper also said this, and you'll excuse the particular gender pronoun he uses. But he said, wherever man may stand, whatever he may do, in agriculture, in commerce, and in industry, or his mind in the world of art and science, he is, whatsoever it may be, constantly standing before the face of his God. He is employed in the service of his God. He has strictly to obey his God, and above all, he has to aim at the glory of his God. There is something we do as human beings as we stand in the spheres of society, education, politics, science, economics. And of course, we all, you know, we we either have or we do work in those spheres, but also family as we parent and grandparent. We stand before God and we're to live obediently to him and to bring kingdom culture to whatever your situation is. Well, something, of course, has cut in. Sin. The fall. That was, that was the design. Humanity had that mandate. And as far as I understand, that has never been rescinded. We have been charged to unlock all the potential of humanity and creation. Something has cut in. Sin. Such that in Romans 8, Paul says this, now because of sin, because of the fallenness of the world, because of the fallenness of human nature, 
The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed fully. Now that will happen one day fully at the end of it all. But in the meantime, we're to be revealed in the present. As we obey the kingdom, as we live according to kingdom ways, who we truly are called to be is revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. I wonder if you can feel like that. I wonder if you can feel like your life is subjected to bondage and frustration and decay. That kind of happens with age, doesn't it? Well, well, the kingdom coming liberates us from some of that. And do you know what? Even physically, even physically, hear me right here, there are scriptures, there are psalms that talk about your youth will be renewed like the eagles. Somehow, living according to the kingdom, somehow we're certainly inwardly renewed. Physically, wasting away, but inwardly renewed as the kingdom comes. So something's cut in. Well, is that the end of the story? Now, let me introduce you to Jesus and what he's done for creation, for humanity as a whole. Not just you and I individually, we're going to come to that, but for humanity, for human culture as a whole. What has Jesus done? Well, look at what Colossians 1, 15 says. One of the most majestic passages about Jesus there are. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Do you know what? We we should read passages like this, folks. If you're a believer in this place this morning, let's not think we're on the back foot. Not when we read stuff like this. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, they're all created for him. The greatest power on this earth was created for him, by him, and it's under him. He is before all things, and in all things, in him, all things hold together. We wouldn't have economic systems, we wouldn't have, you know, political systems, we wouldn't have powers on thrones making laws, but for him holding them together. It would be chaos without him. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He's the head of the body. He's for us. He's all of that for us as the church. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. It matters to Jesus whether or not he's in charge. It matters to Jesus whether or not he's supreme. And he thinks he is. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself, look, look, all things. In the cross, all things have been reconciled to Jesus, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All things have been reconciled to him. Did you notice that? So not just men and women, although men and women are the pinnacle of what's been reconciled, but actually all things, 
Everything in all creation has been reconciled by the cross. I love uh, the message version of some of those later verses. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering above it all, everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy. Do you think salvation is a small place? Do you think being a Christian is a small place? It's kind of rules and regulations. You've got to go to church on a Sunday and probably have to attend a life group as well. And it's all a bit, you know, rigid and I can't can't mess around. I don't have the fun I used to have when I wasn't a Christian. No, no, no. Salvation's a spacious place. It's a roomy place because Jesus is a big Jesus and we're in him. That everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe. People and things, animals and atoms, look at this, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Everything gets put back together in Jesus on the cross. From dislocation to vibrant harmonies, from fragmentation to everything working together for good. As we've just heard from that testimony from Isabel, brokenness, dislocation to everything in Christ being put back together through prayer, through perseverance, the kingdom coming. So in Christ, a new creation is ushered in. He is the firstborn from the dead. So he's the firstborn of a number of others from the dead. And he makes possible through his death on the cross for everything to be restored to its original design. Everything's being put back together again. You're being put back together again. When Jesus found me, he found a broken man, broken young man, going nowhere. He started putting me back together. He started healing. He started wholeness. I'm still dealing with stuff now that comes from my upbringing. And so are you. And so are you. Most of it goes back to that, actually. Certainly a lot of it. Well, when he finds us, when he goes to work, when the kingdom starts to come, when we live in obedience, he puts us back together. He brings healing and wholeness. And this is the end goal of creation. It's not just that he's restoring the original design now. One day it's going to be perfectly restored. Look at these wonderful verses. I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The fallen world, the sinful nature has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That certainly is human beings, but it's everything. There's a new heavens and a new earth that we're going to live in. And we're going to bring that to absolute fruition because we'll never be able to sin again. Aren't you pleased about that? God, it's hard work, this sinning, isn't it? You know, the mess we make of our lives, the problems it causes in families, in relationships. He's going to make everything new. Well, that's quite a big picture. So what? How do I fit into all that? Well, God goes about making big people for this big purpose. He makes big people. Our little lives do count. I don't think I've put the title that I gave this sermon. I've called it 
living big, little lives. Because we must live in the context of all that. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul again says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. This new order, this putting everything right. My understanding is the Greek says, I haven't checked this, but the Greek says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. When we get saved, not only do we get saved, not only are we renewed, but it's like this coming kingdom, this coming new creation starts to land in our situation. It starts to land in our environment as we live in obedience to God's ways. This new creation, this new order comes. Let me tell you, brother and sister, because this may not be exciting you enough yet. Let me tell you. Those situations around you that are part of the old order, that are the consequences of sin and brokenness, God has a heart to transform. He's on your side in that. So get praying, get working, get living in obedience, because there are testimonies in this room, I believe this is prophetic, there are testimonies in this room that are going to astound the world. As God goes to work, he may already have done it. That was a good one this morning. We might not have seen anything yet. There are testimonies going to come to bear as the new creation breaks in, as it brings transformation. We are going to see that and it is going to astound the world. Do I hear an amen here? Go on, make yourself amen. Come on. The old is gone. The new is here. The new's here, brother, sister. The new's here. What situation needs some newness in your life? Well, the new's here. New creation's come. Healing's come. Wholeness has come. God's purposes have come. Miraculous provision has come. Truth has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So let me just reiterate Humankind, human beings being saved is the pinnacle of what God's about. We are at the pinnacle of his creation. But it's not limited. This reconciliation is not limited to us just seeing people saved, bums on seats in chairs, in churches, and we wait here until Jesus comes again. That's not it. We get saved that we live according to kingdom ways in our individual situations, whatever that is, I'll say a bit about that in a minute, to bring transformation so that we see the world changed. And then he comes to to reclaim a glorious bride, not one that's desperately hanging on, just keeping their heads down, trying to go, cool, the world's going to rack and ruin, and I'm just going to stay in here because it's nice and safe in church. No, that's not what we're called to. We're called called to something much bigger, much bolder, If I may say, it's one of the reasons why I'm optimistic about churches growing. Because they can do some stuff. Churches with lots of people and lots of resources can do some stuff for the kingdom. I'm not saying small churches can't. Hear me right. But you get my drift. People take notice when Christians start to do some stuff in a town. And put homeless projects together. And start to provide finances for projects. So we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Okay. So this 
Reconciliation isn't just spiritual. We're called to live significant lives under kingdom rule, fulfilling this mandate we've been given to bring creation to fulfillment. I'm just going to skip one quote there. Well, what does this look like? Well, in Ephesians 4 and 5, we've got some commands. We've got some instruction there, how we can live in this fullness, this bringing creation to completion. We've got some instruction there. It talks there about fullness. Verse 10, it says, He who descended, Jesus, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. Jesus fills the universe. Now, just think about that. What do you think that means? It it surely doesn't mean he's just really, really big. What it means is this. In everything, in him, everything holds together. He completes it all. It's in the palm of his hands, this creation. He fills the whole universe. He completes it. And then verse 13 says this. We're charged until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, we're to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ as well. We're all, it's almost like we're to follow in his trail as he steps into completing the universe, his purposes and plans. We're following in his weight. We're to attain to the whole measure of that completing process. That's what we're about. We're not about living small lives. This is significant, what we do in our lives. There's a challenge in these verses not to live in small-minded ways. Verses, actually I don't, I haven't put the scriptures in there. Verses 17 to 19, it talks about not living in the futility of our minds and in sensuality. That's living selfish lives is living small lives. If we are the if we, are the, if we are all there is to it, as human beings, if we just live selfish lives, self-oriented, thinking it's about our satisfaction, our boundaries are too small because our boundaries are just our satisfaction. Actually, we're called to bring creation, culture to satisfaction, to fullness. And so C.S. Lewis says, says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Your life is probably much bigger than you think it is. I mean that. I want you to get hold of that. As your pastor, I implore you, consider that. Let me tell you, firstly, to reassure you, it's not because you're anything special. It's not because I'm anything special. It's because we've got a big Jesus who has supremacy in everything. And he's calling us into big lives. He's got things for us to do. The parameters, the parameters of our work are not this church. Hallelujah, glory to God, and I'm the pastor. It's creation. A guy called Andy Roxburgh says, in churches, we ask the wrong questions. We ask church questions. We ask ourselves, how do we make church work? That's not the question. We should ask creation questions. How do we put creation right? What mission are we on to put culture right? That's our mission. That's our mission. It's not about putting church right. 
It's about shaping what we do here to transform what's out there. It's all about what's out there. This should dignify us. So we're called in this passage in Ephesians 4 to put off the old self and put on the new self. I think I've got these verses. So Paul says, don't live small-minded lives. That's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Don't live according to those ways. Don't let yourself be the boundary of your horizons, which is being corrupted by its deceitful natures. But be made new in the attitude of your minds. You, You were told to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're to live this new creation life. It's like a trial run, because one day, that's all we're going to live. One day, this body of sin is going to be done with, and we're just going to live perfect lives. There's going to be wonderful, perfect community among us. We're going to have wonderful provision. We're never going to doubt, never going to fear, never going to worry. Well, we're to put all of that off now and live according to the new creation now, the new self, Paul calls it here. What does that look like? Well, in verses 25 onwards, he gives a list of things. He says, put off falsehood, speak truth, speak truthfully. Verses 26 onwards, he says, don't be about your own anger. In your anger, do not sin. So he's assuming we will get angry. And sometimes that's okay. But don't sin. Let it be righteous anger. Maybe you this morning, you're angry at someone. You've got a right to be angry at them. But don't stay in that place of anger. Verse 28. He talks about don't steal. It's kind of, I think it's kind of saying, you know, he says, uh, but, but work, that your, that your life will be useful. He's kind of saying, really, look, don't give over to laziness. Now, I understand some people can't work. Okay, but some could. So let's not live lazy lives. He says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Verse 29, rotten words, the word means. But speak words that build one another Ah, this is all on the right here. It's all the new creation, this new culture we're to create. Don't, get, don't let bitterness have a root, but be forgiving and have compassion. And then verse 3 of chapter 5, he says, Let there be no hint of sexual immorality or impurity, but walk in purity. So what does this all mean? Well, as we go about our daily life, we're to seek to live in obedience to kingdom ways. We're to put on this new creation. We're to understand scripture and scripture's teaching for all the various areas of life. As we do that, we fulfill God's cultural mandate to us to create a human culture that looks like the kingdom. And as we do that, Somehow, in all of that, in our seemingly insignificant little lives here in Bilton Rugby, we're completing creation. We're bringing creation to fulfilment. What that means is this. Everything matters. It's not just the spiritual stuff that happens in here that matters, brother, sister. Everything matters. Funny enough, I'd written down as a parent raises a child sacrificially. 
We've just heard of one parent who's gone through the meal, caring for their children, but some of you have as well. Some of you are now. As we care for our parents, you're bringing creation to fulfillment. It's not just, it's not just you're being obedient in loving your mum or dad, although that, you are doing that. No, it's more than that. You're demonstrating, Ephesians 3 says, you're demonstrating to the powers and principalities God's ways. We're making God's wisdom, God's manifold wisdom, we're putting it on display to the powers and principalities. It's much bigger than just what we're doing here. As we work conscientiously, I had a sense this morning that some of us, what this teaching says to you is this, your work is important. I don't just mean your workplace. I don't just mean your witness to your non-Christian friends, although I do mean that. I don't just mean that you're to be obedient, being a good worker, although I do mean that. No, it's more than that even. Tim, as you go about fixing those computers, doing a good job of that, working hard, you have to do that. Actually, the very act of fixing the computers, if your company is providing a service to human culture, that very act of fixing computers is completing creation. And God's pleased. And God's pleased. As we're faithful to our spouse, as we love them, serve them, and as we love others. Just to finish very quickly, there's some blessings here. Verse 6 tells us, if we will live this way obediently, bringing the kingdom to these situations, we're not under wrath. We're not under wrath. There will come a day when humanity will be called account for the way it's lived. But if we will live obediently to God, we're not under wrath. It will be a fruitful life, not fruitless. Paul says in verse 15, you'll make the most of every opportunity. You'll be the best version of you. Your family will be the best version of it. It can be. And you can be filled with the Spirit. As we live lives that please God in obedience, we can be filled with the Spirit. So folks, let's set our sights high. Let's understand the vast magnitude of what Christ has done. He's reconciled all of creation. And he's charged us to be about his work in that. We're going to come to communion now. Ask the band to come back up. And I want to just encourage us, really. I think, I think communion, it speaks of Christ's commitment to us. But I think it's an opportunity to recommit to him. And I just wonder, for some of us, maybe we've got lost off a bit in the, in the mundane. We can't see the wood for the trees. And just our daily life, that kind of whole praying thing, trying to read scripture, trying to get to know God, trying to obey him trying to love your family, trying to look after your parents, trying to, you know, do a good job at work, whatever it is. We just, it's got a bit lost and we kind of feel a bit like we're going around in circles and going, Lord, what is this about? Well, let me tell you what you're doing. If you are being faithful to the Lord in that, you are about Christ's work of reconciling all of creation. You are bringing the new creation into your situation.
That's no small thing. You may not feel it. It may not feel as grandiose as that, but it is. That's exactly what you're doing. And I just encourage you, as we come to the cross now, why don't you give yourself afresh to that? Just say, Lord, I, I just commit to that situation again. Lord, I commit to that person again. I commit to that relationship again. It's worth it, Lord, because I'm about your work. You died so that I could bring the kingdom to that situation. So, Lord, as we come to your table, we thank you for your body broken for us. We do this in remembrance of you and everything you've done, everything you've done, not just that you've saved me, but you've saved me so that I can bring transformation to the world around me even if it's indiscernible, even if it's by small degree. I thank you for your body. I thank you for your blood shed by which you reconcile all things. Thank you that the power of sin over my life, in my family, in my community, in my church, in this town, the power of sin has been broken by the blood of Jesus. And there is hope that as we give ourselves to living faithfully, Jericho's will fall. Situations will change. Lord, I pray, let this meal be sustenance to us this morning that just gives us nourishment that we would continue to persevere. We thank you for your body broken, your bloodshed. We do this in remembrance of you.